it's time to go beyond the locker room talk and listen in with me, GB, producer Jay, former patients and current friends of our own Cornell-trained, world-renowned urologist and surgeon, Dr. Michael Hyman. Let's talk about the issues on men's minds where no topic's out of bounds on another sit-down with two men and a doc. Hey guys, welcome to the show. GB. Good to see you, JT. It's good to be seen. Yeah. This is, uh, and Doc? Yeah. This, this has been a while. This is exciting. We're all actually... Socially distancing. In, we're socially distancing, but physically uh, in the same we relative have six space. six-foot microphone cables that are all six feet apart, and then some, and uh, we are outside, so I'm not going to be able to... I'm not even going to bother. The You're hearing the sounds of nature in the background at times, which is fine. Airplanes and birds and dogs and... That's the way we're making this safe, but it's uh, it's great to be on the mic. Yeah, I think the last time we were together socially distanced was about a month ago when when more. your wife came on more. Yeah, yeah. That, it was um, yeah, it was like middle of March. Yeah, and we were struggling with some sound quality when we were doing things over ZenCaster and Zoom and what. Yeah, I think we made it work, but um, like everyone's been experiencing with all these TV shows and everything else, it's you know, it's it's not ideal. I think it's great that people are putting content out there, but. It's nice to uh, be in person. Yeah. No, this uh, this whole thing, sheltering at home, it's uh, it's it's tough. I find myself not leaving the house, just sticking around, and uh, it it does a number on your psyche. The productivity has ebbs and flows, doesn't it? You have you have certain days where you feel like you really you really got something done, and other days, you know, it just went by, and yeah. it's frustrating. Yeah, I find that there is no delineation between work and personal life anymore. I find uh, just always on. Well, that's because you're in the corporate world, right? Right. That's I mean, correct. I think that's that's a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're you're finding other things in your practice. Um. Yeah. I. I uh, people patients coming back. People are trickling back, and my I haven't sent it out yet, but I was planning to send out a, a letter to my patients to basically explain my philosophy, which is I think I talked about this maybe on the last. Uh, podcast here I don't remember but um, that really if you really if you consider just all you have to do is sort of gosh all you have to do is go on the freeway now and it's actually there are more cars now than there were three weeks ago that's true you look on the televisions and you know obviously they shut down the beaches but you know people are protesting there's just more people going outside of their homes now than there was three weeks ago and if you think about three weeks from now six weeks from now 20 weeks from now those numbers are just going to trickle up and up and up so you have to ask yourself if you're avoiding medical care even routine medical care are you doing that because you think like in two months it'll be less risky than it is today and my argument is not really it's basically you're basically at the same probably a little more risk we're all going to be exposing ourselves potentially exposing ourselves to greater risk it's not going to be tremendously but a little bit more as the months go on until the day comes that we can all get immunized. It's just going to trickle up and we're going to have to learn to, you know, not be too neurotic and and too stressed out about that slight. Yeah. I I have, I have two things that go through my head. Uh, One is gosh, can I, and, and they're both silly, but one is gosh, I just want to get this thing so I can get get, get over it. But that's not that short sighted. And the other thing is, on the occasion when I actually do leave the house and, and go to a store, I actually feel a bit guilty. And I, it's just really kind of weird why mm-hmm. that is. Mm-hmm. And I, I get it. I get it. 
Yeah, I don't know. I, but there's, there's a lot of emotions that fly around with this. That's right. all I can tell you. But I also will say that, again, getting back to what I was saying with the going to your doctor, I mean, people, I sometimes have to go into the hospital to do consults. You know, someone's, it's not a necessarily, it's, it's, it actually has never been somebody who has COVID-19, but it's because somebody's got a problem with a catheter or they've got a kidney stone and they're in the hospital. And so people are like, oh my God, that must be so scary. And I tell people, you know what? I feel way safer going into the hospital than I do like walking into a supermarket. Really? Because, oh yeah, because first of all, the hospital's empty. They don't allow any visitors there. The ho- the parking lots are empty. It's and and the, hos- the hospitals here aren't like the pictures that we're seeing in the New York hospitals. No, no. So, so like at the hospitals that I work at, there's maybe like, I don't know, 15 to 20 confirmed COVID-19 patients isolated on a separate ward, you know, from the rest of the hospital. And when you walk in, there's all kinds of strict protocols. They question you about any symptoms you're having. They check your temperature. They do all kinds, and then they make you wear the mask. And you know, and then when you walk into the floors, like everybody's masked up. Every every room is like is constantly being cleaned, and and so people are being ultra careful. Mm. So that's why. I, and 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 the floors are like abandoned. There's like nobody there. So and you I have feel an, safer. And you have enough PPE. And there's enough PPE. And what about your practice too? Uh, devices, yeah. Uh, equipment yeah my yeah, practice that would be were, ppd yeah and same thing and and same thing in the in the office i mean we are we do all kinds of um uh all kinds of things to to create a really safe environment such that i feel safer in my office than i certainly do in the supermarket we don't allow people into the office they they are they come into they drive in and they're supposed to they, they wait in their cars until um, we either call them or they text us and say, I'm here. And then we text back and say, okay, wait until you're notified to come up. And we wait until we have an empty exam room. And then they come up. So nobody is interacting with anybody. Um, oh, that's great. Jay's going to love this. Yeah. You're really helping your patients save on those parking charges. <laughs> and the structure. Well, yeah, well, uh, my son had an annual, um, his birthday, he had to go to the doctor. And I thought it was smart they did in the morning were those appointments only. And in the yeah. afternoon were kids that were actually Sick. not feeling well yeah. for some reason. No, that's exactly right. Smart. There's all kinds of organization taking place. And honestly, if you extrapolate that to the world, I mean, beyond healthcare systems, um, corporate uh, structures and stuff like that, I, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be in the detail that I'm talking about, but just if you consider that we can implement all kinds of strategies in our habits and behaviors and our structurings of our days and where we go and who we sit with and all that, there's no reason to think that we can at least get, you know, 50%, 75% closer to some sense of normal uh, life. Well, speaking of strategies, there was an article in the LA Times about how to measure that, what you're talking about. And uh, I thought it was really interesting. It was about wastewater and using wastewater as a as a measurement tool. And it's a little, you know, it's kind of a lot disgusting. Sewage water? Sewage water, yeah. So what they've done is they said you can very quickly get a snapshot of your entire population by just examining what you're flushing down the toilet. And um, it's not the first time this has been used in, uh, in Austra- I have it up, in, in Israel in 2013, a polio epidemic, believe it or not, was detected before any reported cases had come in. 
And uh, they've done this in Australia as well. Don't they have polio vaccines there? That's weird, but okay. I, I know. Well, yeah. it was uh, gave the government a heads up, it says here, to, um, to do a quick vaccination okay. campaign. Australia has done this. So you're saying they track the? Uh, they were able to like contact trace or track the epidemic well, based on it's, the wastewater. They were seeing what was coming through the wastewater, huh. testing it, and then it was an in, it was an early an indication yeah. before people started going to the, to the hospitals had, and the doctors. They hadn't even come in. And, That's interesting. And the wastewater is actually more localized than you think. That's you know there's multiple treatment plans, so they could centralize it. But I've heard this before, and this was also so in it's the kind article. of like the Google searches when people are are searching the cold or the flu when they're able to predict the outbreaks. Before, I think I think that's what this article essentially before yeah. before there's enough cases. And they've also done this for um uh, illicit drug use. So in Australia, and I think they've done this here as well, cocaine, methamphetamines, they show up in the wastewater hmm. and then they're able to to better understand when there's, you know, a pattern taking place. So get this, in March, they did a study in Massachusetts small study um and they they examined um you know in one in one treatment one wastewater treatment center in massachusetts and what they found was there was 446 reported cases in this period of time the wastewater indicated conservatively there was at least 2300 cases and there might have been as many as 115,000. now that's such a huge range that it shows a uh, not a great amount of so accuracy. they're looking at like parts per million or billion or whatever that is and then converting it to yeah, uh, the concentration for a case interesting yeah, yeah. and uh, you know they said there's kinks to work out and they don't know how much the virus actually sheds per you know trip to the toilet but um and rain and snow apparently can dilute things but i just thought that was a pretty cool uh you know way of getting at data when we don't have widespread testing and that as, is really especially as a predictor. Yeah. And oh, oh, and one last thing. They can also use this. You know, it's the same theory. But if you think about it, seeing how the virus is declining in a population, you're going to see it because it's going to show up. less. I would think if I was a cruise ship operator, I would want to invest in these technologies because it's not it's just not the coronavirus. But it's also there was other gastrointestinal viruses. If something shows up, they know there's something on that ship. Might That's be very too, interesting. On a ship, it might be too late, but yeah, I mean, they would know. But they've been using this for SARS. Uh, they've been using it for other COVIDs um, in the past. So. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. That wow. Really Who cool. would have thought about that? But that 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 leads me to another thought. Yeah. Because it's kind of yucky, right? It's kind <laughs> of a yucky business. A little. So, Doc, what's like the uh, the grossest, nastiest thing oh, that here we, you've? There we go. Oh. It's a GB special <laughs> that, that you've ever seen. Now, it's I, a GB I, special. I, I started thinking about this, and I'm like, I feel like it's like it's like now the daily double, right? And now the GB special because some of the stuff I'll, that you've talked a GB special on Rye, please. Because <laughs> some of the stuff you talked about, you're like completely unfazed by stuff. So I, I I don't even know if you'd have a response to what's like the one most time I thing. saw something so upsetting that I I it. it it left me in tears. Oh my God! Really? <laughs> Wait a minute. Buckle up, everyone. Buckle up. <laughs> so, I, is it sad or grotesque? A little bit of both. I mean, to be, first of all, you have to realize I was, I was in my internship year, so I was just starting to, you know, act as a doctor. I mean, I was I graduated from medical school. And this is first year. So this is my first year after graduating from medical school. So you're an intern. 
in um, New York at Cornell. At, at New York Hospital. New York Hospital. Cornell, New York Hospital. And I'm in the emergency department. Um, and I think it was my, yeah, it was my first rotation. Uh, my first, uh, sorry, my first, uh, you know, you, 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 as a surgical intern, because I was, you know, I was in general surgery at that point. You do, at those days, you would do two years of general surgery, and then you would do four years of urology. This is after medical school. So the first year, you're considered an intern, um, which is, I don't even, I guess they, it's kind of a funny designation because you're basically a doctor. Sometimes they basically they call you just a PGY one, which means postgraduate year one. PGY one. Yeah, they just call you a PGY one. But in any event, it's my first year, and it was my first. Does um, your wife call you PGOM? <laughs> postgraduate old man. Now she does. Yeah. So, um, but right, you, let's you, let's let him get to the story. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you should know that when you're an intern, at least as a surgical intern, you, you rotate to the different services. So like six weeks in the ER, and then you might be um, one month on one surgical attending doctor's service, and then you might be on a month on another surgical attending doctor's service, and those surgical attendings may have different specialties. One may be more of a trauma surgeon. One may be more of a you know general surgeon who does hernias all the time. So you get this exposure. But anyways, the first six weeks you're in the emergency room, and um, and you're you're considered a surgical emergency room doctor, which means that surgical situations that come in tend to go to you. So if somebody comes in and they're like short of breath, they would give it to the medical intern, the right. internal medicine resident intern. But if somebody comes in with like a, a laceration or some surgical issue, um, they would let you evaluate. So this woman walks in and she's well-dressed. She, she's, she's actually wearing like a gown um, and has like diamonds and stuff like this. And um, with her husband... And, um, and I go and start talking to her and, and she's probably about 70. And I said, you know, what's going on? And, and, and she said, you know, we, we went, uh, on a camping trip a couple of, like a month ago. And some reason I, I must've gotten like a bite and I had this sore, um, you know, right, um, you know, kind of in my left side of my chest and in the skin and the sore just keeps, you know, it just won't heal. And I said, okay. And um, I'm thinking, all right, whatever. So she's this coming is... to the emergency room for a sore. For a sore that's not healing. It's very strange. On I agree. Her way and her to husband's like, there. To a ball or something. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all dressed up. And I and I didn't really, you know, again, I'm I'm new, so I'm not like really. I'm young, I'm new, and I'm not really asking questions like, why the hell are you not going to your regular doctor or something? I'm just, be, I'm just sort of taking it step by step, and I'm kind of going through the, in my mind, the kinds of questions you're supposed to ask, like, oh, is it, is it bleeding? Um, are you having, is there a lot of redness around it? Are you having fevers? I'm asking all the questions you're supposed to ask, and, um, and then, you know, once, and then I go through her medical history. Are you on any medications? Uh, have you started any new medicine lately? Blah, 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 blah. And then um, finally I said, okay, well, let me examine you and, and take a look. And so she unbuttons the top of her gown and, and opens it up. And sure enough, there's like this pretty nasty ulcerating sore. I mean, it's like probably two inches in diameter. Wow. And, and from a distance, it almost looks like... Um, it's 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 like imagine a really heavy scab, but the scab is like cracked in the middle, and it almost looks like a fissure. Like you're and it's and and like the crack is like a quarter of an inch wide. It's not whatever it is. It's not healing. It's That's not what, healing, and yeah. it's it looks it doesn't look good. Uh, and was I'm, it infected? I'm 
kind of not clear what it is. I, I no, it doesn't. It's not like there's redness around it. And I'm and again, I'm this is literally like my second week in the ER. So I I start to lean in a little bit and and I'm looking at it and there's a light and I turn the light on and kind of focus it on this thing. And I and I'm I have her kind of lean back in the gurney a little bit. And I'm looking at it. If something crawls and, out of this and, thing, and I'm, I'm not looking at it, and then as I'm looking but, but deeper cl- in clearly it, clearly the details that he's telling the story with yeah. this is really left. So this uh, is my a, experience, a yeah. right? Because I, I remember very clearly. Because as I'm looking deep, as I'm looking closer and closer, I'm leaning down, and I'm trying to look inside this opening. I suddenly realize, like, oh my god, I can actually see blood, like, like blood traveling at the base of this thing. Like I'm almost looking at like movement of, of blood or something, but it's like got particulates in it and I'm really confused and, and I'm staring at it and suddenly it dawns on me that this is not blood that I'm seeing in there. This is not movement. I mean, this is movement. This is not blood. These are maggots. Maggots. These are maggots that are covered in like um, they're covered in like uh, in the byproducts of the stuff that they're breaking down in there. And I flipped out in front of the patient. No, I, I, I felt my whole face flush. And I felt my heart just racing. Waiter, and can- I just cancel that omelet, please. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take and that I just to took a deep breath, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'll be right back. We're just gonna check something out, and I'll, I'll be right back. And I turned around and walked out of there, huffing and puffing. Walked into the <laughs> ER attending's office, and she looked at me and she's like, "What? What's wrong?" And I started to tell her like what was going on. She goes, "Oh!" Before I could finish, she goes. Did you see maggots? She had this like knowing <laughs> nod. And I'm like, yes, yes, there's maggots in there. I mean, I can't believe it. And I was like, literally like there's like a tear rolling down my face. I was so traumatized. Uh. And, and she said, why don't you just have a seat and just we'll, we'll get it taken care of. And, and I'm sitting there just like recovering myself. And like 10 minutes later, I was like, all right, I'm going to go back. She goes, no, don't worry about it. There's a couple of second year med students with some forceps picking them out. <laughs> that's, that's how you treat it? Yeah, she's well. That's it was breast cancer. It was a fungating breast tumor. They picked out the maggots. This just and and then she got admitted. She's gonna. She got admitted, and they had to work up her breast tumor with imaging and make a tissue diagnosis with a. Wait, wait, wait. It had had nothing to do with the camping. From an open sore with maggots directly into breast cancer. I thought it had to do with camping. That was what she thought. Oh. Yeah, no, she, so this was a breast tumor. Did you this was diagnose a breast tumor. The, the, the... No, the attending doctor came back and said, you know, if you, you know, she said, did you, did you get a chance to palpate her breast? And I said, no. And she said, well, if you palpate her breast, it's rock hard. And she said, it's like 99%. This is breast cancer. The yeah. whole breast was that? Yeah, the whole breast was so like she, that replaced was like, by tumor. Then, then that's like stage and the tumor four, had, right? Yeah, and the tumor had like invaded into the skin layers and, and it had opened up. You know the skin had opened up, wow. and then ma- and then what happens is like a fly goes near there oh. and deposits their maggots, and then you know in truth what what you learn is that the maggots actually the reason why it wasn't infected because of the maggots because of the maggots yeah, right yeah right. jeez okay so there so you is, go it, so is Here's that a gross a, story thanks is that GB. A way to <laughs> <laughs> well I, now I understand why it's so gross and so sad 
Yeah. Because that must have been stage four breast cancer. Yeah, for sure. And she probably wasn't going to make it. And she wasn't going to make it. Yeah. Well, that's awful. But you know, it's funny because now you guys, like, you anticipated me saying it and you kind of looked at me like, oh, was it maggots? But you have to realize that when you're, what was I, like 26 or something like that or 27, when you're at that age in life, I mean, if you whoever's listening, if you've got a kid who's like in their early 20s or something like that, and you even suggest that this is a possibility that this could happen, they will freak out. Yeah, because it's I mean, at, at our age, you hear over the course of our lifetimes, we hear some pretty gross things. But at that stage in life. It hasn't really come to the surface. You know what I'm saying? Well, there's enough so it's stories that stage on of my the life. Internet, I didn't you know? even. No one brought it up to me as a medical student that this could happen. I mean, I just never heard about this happening. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good. It wasn't stuff. like I took a class and they're like, and maggots can develop. No, I well, never heard about it. Well, so it, it totally blew it's my good mind. To have a little bit, uh, you know, light discussion around this. It's <laughs> sort of a, a pick me up. Although I'm not sure if it was light or heavy because it's kind of it is a very sad story. Yeah, it's a sad story. It is. It's a sad story. Well, especially the contrast. It wasn't like, and and, and forgive me if I sound, you know, uh, uh, flippant about certain uh, socioeconomic issues, but, you know, it's not like this was some indigent person who had been living on the street for months and, you know, they came in really dirty. And No, this was like a you know, I, in fact, I think they were li- they were people who lived on Park Avenue. Like these were like really upper class, like super wealthy people. And well, what struck me? But she's in denial. Well, she's right. in complete denial. Struck me is complete that complete denial. It was so many other signs prior to that. Oh, of course, that she had that's not denial. Yeah. That's denial. Denial is that's when they talk about the fact that denial can be such a powerful thing. Here she had this rock hard breast to the point that it eroded and fungated open her skin. And she still just kind of shrugging. Like, oh, I guess I just got a sore from when we went camping. And we the always, husband had no clue either. We always say, you know, listen to your body. It's like such an important thing. But so speaking of, I mean, terrible transition, I guess, but listening to your body, doc, you had posted uh, getting back to our current COVID situation an article in the New York Times that that prompted me to immediately order a what I don't even remember oximeter. That's what I ordered. Okay, it hasn't arrived yet. But this is the thing I've done at the doctor's office, right? They stick it on my finger and it gives me some data. Right. I'm never quite sure what they're doing. It gives you your heart rate. um, But the most important thing it's giving you is the percentage of your blood that is saturated with oxygen. Your oxygen. And, and it should be somewhere, a normal person who doesn't have like emphysema or other lung disorders, it should be somewhere between 95 and 99% on room air, on room air, like just breathing right now. And, um, and what this doctor who wrote this article, his name I think is, um, his an last article, name is Levitin. There's an article in the New York Times. In the New York Times. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. And it's a fantastic article. I mean, I would argue it's one of the best articles I've read about COVID-19, um, really, by a doctor ever. And what it tells us, we got a plane going overhead, folks. Okay. It's okay. We're outside. Should we just... No, we're outside. It's, it's life. This is, this well, is the, this it happens to be, eh, to be a beautiful good. Southern California there morning. There you go. There you go. So, um, so what he explains in this article is he's an emergency room doctor. Dr. Levitan, and he, and he, you know, it's funny because I later learned that he's the same doctor who wrote an article in the New York Times like the month before about his experience 
because he was he was in New Hampshire and he came to New York City to volunteer and help because he used to he's a prominent guy and I guess he he's well known as an emergency room physician and I guess he has colleagues at Bellevue at New York University and he offered to come down and help out and they said absolutely so when he came to New York City he um, went to move into his brother's apartment which wasn't being lived in and um, and they, uh, the co-op group in the apartment building kicked him out. He said, well, I'm an emergency room doctor. I'm helping. They're like, nope, you can't come. Hmm. You can't live here because they were all freaked out about COVID-19. So th- he wrote an article about that experience, but he didn't allude to oh, it. Oh, he in this shamed article. the co-op people. That's or great. They, or they shamed him, really. No, but, but, but look, somebody trying to do good needed a place to stay and then yeah, they but, kick him out. But he, he was going to live in an apartment. I don't know if he was shaming them. Well, he, he should have just said, I'll take the stairs and not worry about. They wouldn't accept any of it. That's they wouldn't crazy. accept any of it. And he was like, well, I got to live somewhere because I'm trying to help. There's a true not in my backyard mentality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, getting, getting to this story. So now he doesn't even allude to it in the article. He's, it's, I only learned about it because somebody in the comment section said, oh, this is the same doctor who had that problem last month. <laughs> but in any event, in the article, he talks about this experience of working in the emergency room and the kinds of patients he's seeing. And he said, he talks about how, you know, normally when somebody comes in an acute respiratory failure, which is very rare, where we have to emergently intubate somebody, they are at death's door. They are literally like, if they're not unconscious, they're nearly unconscious. They're either in septic shock or they're having a heart attack. And even if they're having an infection, they're out they're, they're just in septic shock. I mean, you don't just intubate somebody because they're a, they're a little short of breath um, or they're just not looking, you know. But he said it was crazy, like a disproportionate, like virtually, you know, disproportionate numbers of people would walk into the ER. They'd be short of breath, um, and we'd start doing x-rays and looking at their oxygen saturation and all this stuff, and we realized, oh, my God, this person is, like, at death's door, but they look fine. Like, their oxygen saturation was, like, at 50%. Wow. How can that be? And he said, like, I've never, in my career, he said, I've never seen, like, 30 years, I've never seen somebody look so good with an oxygen saturation of 50%. And he said, you know, and he talked about in the article, you know how you hear about how people are literally almost, like, dropping dead from COVID-19? It's like, you'll hear, especially the younger ones, you'll hear the stories anecdotally. Like, my sister was, was really okay, and then she complained that she had some fevers and she was having some coughing and then like then they took her to the hospital and that day she died and you're like really it works that fast and so what he he explained exactly what's going on and it was really fascinating he said what's happening is the types of cells in your lungs that the that the virus attacks are the types of cells that secrete a substance called surfactant and surfactant is what keeps the little micro air uh um, there are these little like kind of air respules in the tips of your lungs, in the, in the ends of the branches of your lungs, that um, that's where um, oxygen transfers into your bloodstream, okay? Normally, in normal cases of pneumonia, fluid and pus build up in your lungs, and what's really causing you to get sick really badly with something with most lung position, conditions, whether it's heart failure and fluids building up in your lungs from heart failure, 
or pneumonia and pus and fluid is building up, any of those kinds of conditions. The reason why you're getting so toxic and sick is actually not from the loss of oxygen. It's more because of the buildup in carbon dioxide in your, in your body. Mm. So carbon dioxide is actually very toxic. And when you build up levels of carbon dioxide, you crash and burn fast. Um, it's the number one stimulant of breathing. So like when you hold your breath and you're forced to start breathing again, you can't hold it any longer. It's not because of a lack of oxygen in your body. It's because of the buildup of carbon dioxide. It literally stimulates the medulla in your brain to just like force you to open your mouth and start breathing. So it's carbon dioxide. Well, if you're in a trapped environment, correct me if I'm wrong, and you're breathing in and out, the oxygen is going down and all that's left is... The but then you're dioxide, bre- but right? you're breathing in your own carbon dioxide. That's what I'm, right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and that's yeah. and that's what can cause that. Ultimately, there's it's still more s- because of the carbon dioxide right. toxicity than your lack of oxygen. Right. Right. Got it. So in any event, what they realized is a lot of these guys, they because it's not a fluid buildup. It's just the lack of the surfactant that the COVID nineteen attacks. That's allow. That's not allowing these little air respules to uh, fill with oxygen. But there's no fluid buildup, so they still can get rid of their carbon dioxide. So all these people, they're able to get rid of their carbon dioxide. They feel okay. They're not, they're barely short of breath. They feel a little like under the weather, but you know, and then they check their oxygen saturation. It's like 50%. So they are literally like hours away from having a massive, you know, because of this low oxygen, but this normal carbon dioxide, then what? Then suddenly they have like a massive uh, heart attack or something and so they you, die. So are you basically saying that this is what people should be using at home? This sensor I'm to saying, indicate whether or not they need yeah. to rush well, over to the he, hospital. He basically propo- he proposes in the article. He said the simplest thing you can do. These devices. I mean, on the normal market, these devices are like fifteen, twenty bucks. Right now, it's probably you got to spend like forty or fifty. Bucks JT, how much devices. did you pay for yours? So. I, I would recommend to our listeners that they are in short, they're in uh, short supply, like on an Amazon. But uh, I went to eBay. So did I. And anywhere from twenty five dollars to forty five, yeah. fifty. Right. I I got I I did way more research on this than I. But it's hard to read. There's so many different ones. They all look the same. I did a lot of research too. They, they I I felt like the twenty five dollar ones looked like very inexpensive, sort so of Chinese. You, I that's exactly how I felt. So, so do you have I, one at your I, house you know, right now, doctor? I do. So should we bring it out and check all of our oxygenations? <laughs> we can. We can. I mean, we're after the show. We can check our oxygenations. I. I here's what I think. I think first GP of all, wants a free consult. I think. Is what's <laughs> <going on. laughs> I no, think but, but uh, like I, I go running and I'm like, hmm. I figure like, well, if I can run, I'm probably okay. But there was but something about that, wasn't there? But after exercise. Wasn't there something about checking it after exercise and and then at a normal rest state? And well, there's no question about it. Um, it's it's always you you should always check it in your rate in your resting state. Yeah, not right after exercising or something like that. It's just you want you want to um, you want to make it you want to have a constant. And after exercise, that's very that's right. That's sure, variable. sure, sure. That's variable. So you want to have a constant. But 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 it's like it's like when you weigh yourself, you weigh it in the but morning. But if your oxygenation is at fifty percent, you're going to have a heck of a time running. For the most part, yes. But that but but what if it's like seventy percent, or what if it's eighty percent? So he calls it silent hypoxia. Wow. He said, like, in my whole career, I've never seen any. He said we would literally have people that we had to intubate, and they were sitting there talking on their cell phones. Hmm. 
He said, like, we, we, I've never seen that in my career. Somebody who had an oxygen level of, like, 65% or something that we literally had to get ready to... He said, I intubated more people that weren't looking like they were at death's door than I've ever in my whole career. And he said, that's bizarre. Wow. Well, I do think we should break out this oxygen sensor and... Uh, yeah, we and, can do and, it. And let's see. So, so I, I check it, like, every morning or so. Oh, really? Yeah, I just... when I, It's just the easiest thing. You just slip it on your finger. And what about the seconds. rest of your family? You do the same? I haven't, but, you know, I, I could. I'm the oldest in my family, and I've got some health issues. My kids... But, no, you're right. I should. I should have everybody check it. So if, you, so if you're looking at it every morning, you're looking for a steady decrease? If my oxygenation is, like, in the 80s... And he talks about in the article that there certainly can be false positives. Like you may not realize that you have a little mild underlying lung condition that you're not even aware of, like mild what we call COPD, which is like uh, emphysema. Maybe you were a former smoker and you didn't realize that you actually live daily chronically at like 88 percent. And so then you don't want all these people to rush into the ER. He said if it's low, if it's below 90, you should call your doctor. Call your doctor and say, look, I was a little concerned. My, my, I took my O2 sat. It's at 85%. And your doctor may say, no, 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 you've got you know, COPD or you've got you know, a little pulmonary fibrosis. That's about where your baseline is. But the other, on the other hand, the doctor may say, no, that's not right. You better go to the ER. Hmm. And, and so what this doctor was saying, he said, in very, he said, we saw so many incidental cases of pneumonia, which means like we, he saw, we saw so many people come in with like a broken hip from a fall or they came in with a heart attack, crushing chest pain, or they came in with whatever. And, and they had and, the COVID. And no, no, they didn't even know about COVID. They were, they're working up the hip. They're going to take the guy to the OR to fix his hip. And they get a, you always get an x-ray before you take yeah. them to the OR because you're going to you're going to have to put them on a ventilator right. and you want to know if they've got any lung condition. So it's a standard. You always right. x-ray somebody before you take them to the OR or if somebody comes in with a heart attack and they're going to go to the ICU. You always get a baseline chest x-ray. All these people who came in with different problems, they would get baseline chest x-rays. And guess what? They, they saw pneumonia. The pneumonia. And they're like, what the hell is all this? And they were all COVID. Yeah. They were all COVID. Yeah. And they, so they had undiagnosed you know, silent pneumonia, basically, from COVID. So it's really fascinating. I thought it was a great article. And he said it was like literally like a huge percentage of these guys. Well, maybe. Oh, they I, said that's what happened with Boris Johnson. Oh, really? And in fact, that's what saved his life. He didn't end up getting intubated because Boris Johnson had some symptoms and they did his pulse ox and it was like 75%. And they were able to you know, oxygenate him. And, oh, that was the other thing he said, is that when your oxygenation goes down to like 70% or 60%, eventually, yes, you start hyperventilating. You do start breathing harder. But it's very insidious, and you don't realize that you're really breathing harder and more intensely. But that intensive breathing actually causes damage to your lungs. Wow. And then the fluid starts to come out. And then you do start to drop your carbon. I mean, then you do start to raise your carbon dioxide. So he said, if you can prevent that because you put somebody on oxygen, then they won't hyperventilate. Then they won't damage their lungs. You can get them through it without having to put them on a ventilator. So he said, this is a really important way to prevent the need for ventilators. And he said that when we did this, like 75% of people came in, we were able to prevent putting them on a vent that we normally would have had to put them on a vent. Interesting. So it's well, really important. Well, I guess I guess my question to JT is: Do we take a break, oxygenate, uh, test our oxygenation levels, and then come back, or do or do we wrap? 
Sure, we can uh, we can get yeah, the quick can, number yeah, and yeah, then, yeah, then we'll wrap it up. Let's do that. We'll press pause on this. We'll be right back. We back? We're back. All right. This is uh, big drama. I, big drama. I was actually a bit nervous because um, <laughs> he, you just, you he just was, never you, know. You want to wait? Yeah, this is you know, he, Doc. We should have thought of this ahead of time. He's going to be on the phone to his doc. <laughs> like as soon as he gets in the He's car. Calling. Yeah, it's true. When we, when the three of us did it, you know, JT and I are just kind of like, yeah, okay, there it is. I'm like, yeah, my heart rate's a little up. Okay. And then. GB's got this he had really a, worried look on his face, like, oh. He had a mild heart attack. I think the numbers <laughs> changed as he was as he had it. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but there's something that he has happened know what as I've aged about mortality and always <laughs> thinking about the worst possible outcome of stuff yeah. when it's so unrealistic. All right, so let's go around the All table. Right. We'll go around the horn. All right, so wait, be, before we even do that. <laughs> So the, the, this little thing that they put on, it's just like when you, when you go and, and, and the doctor's taking your, your blood pressure, they put it on your finger, but there's two numbers on it. They're, well, they're, no, usually a blood pressure is a cuff that no, goes no, no, around no, no, your, no, no, your They do this biceps. first. Yeah. No, 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 but, but when, when I go in, they'll do both. They'll, they have one of these finger yeah, pulse They have one, one of yeah. these, okay. yeah. So there's, there's two numbers on it. So one number is your heart rate and the other is your oxygenation. And so I'm looking at the two numbers, and I'm like, yeah. uh, which one, which one's on the top and <laughs> which worried. one's on the bottom? Because you you, you could easily <laughs> swap this. Okay, all right. So uh, who's going first here? I'll go first. Sadly, that's not the case for me, and I say sadly because I have a high resting heart rate, and I always have, and it's always bummed me out. Um, I think if I exercise more, it would probably bring it down a bit, and I'm trying to to do that since we've had this COVID uh, home program i've been getting back on my bike and stuff but it is um right now my oxygenation is 97 percent. my heart rate's about 85 which is a bummer because i'd like my yeah heart your rate resting to be, heart rate should yeah, be a bit, bit lower like yeah, yeah. Louder. yeah yeah lower but we're going to get you that bike and then, right. then it's going to come down yeah. <laughs> right all right, JT? all right i was at 98 over 60 oh so, interesting so i got my uh, he's an athlete very, very that's interesting. A, that's an athlete. Those are an athlete's numbers. There you go. Okay. Well, I originally thought I was 60 over 98. <laughs> <laughs> and I got very worried, but uh, just numbers. like you, I was You guys are both athletes. I was 98 over go. 60. There you go. We got JT, the marathon runner. And, no, I can and, tell you uh, right now, GB does way more than I do. So <laughs> I, maybe I could just got some good genes. All right. Well, that was uh, that was very exciting there, there for a moment. Yeah. There you go. Congratulations, well, but, GB. But I, I always panic about this because... I go to visit my mom, we socially distance, and my dad, we socially distance, and I'm like, my goodness, what if we were to give them the COVID virus? Uh, Noah's visiting his, um, my wife's parents, and, I, and I'm worried about that, mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. if, if he does something. Well, that's what we all think you know. about, and that's what we've talked about many, I'll tell many you times. my philosophy about, about that. Taking though. the right precautions. I'll tell you my philosophy about that. If my mother, my mother-in-law lives in a board and care, which there's six other residents, and I told my wife that, and she agreed with me. I said if they had, if they would let us go and see her, because she's so, uh, she she's you know it's like solitary confinement. The other people in the boarding care are pretty, pretty out of it. They're just not very functional people. One of them is a little better than the rest of them. And then there's my mother-in-law who unfortunately is blind, um, and um, and so she's pretty incapacitated in terms of doing things. And so I can tell just in the last four to six weeks, 
um, her cognition. She's just becoming more and more demented from the lack of, yeah. from the isolation. And yeah. I said to my wife, I said, you know, if we were allowed to go there, I would say we absolutely should, but we're not because they've got their strict policy. But the risk is of her just deteriorating from the social isolation is far worse than us giving her COVID. Right. Not to mention that if God forbid we did, I would argue then, you know, this is she's getting better quality of life in the end of her life, you know, and I would say the same thing with your I, I mean, that's the way I that's my philosophy. It's and it depends on the people for sure. Your parents are together. So that's a different yeah. story. But I would argue that like if you, like if you had a situation like this where you had like a solitary parent living in their home and they've been completely alone and they're like 90 years old or 85 years old. I mean, obviously, you'd want to talk to him about it and say, like, listen, do you want to incur a little risk so we can actually come and see you? Obviously, if you got it, your chances of death could be significantly higher. But the alternative is you're looking at basically being by yourself for the next two years. Right. And that's yeah. just not, I mean, right. mo I, I can tell you if I was 85, I'd be like, no, I'll, I'll take my chances. Well, that's what I mean about the precautions, because otherwise you are waiting for this vaccine. So that's you, it. listen, Mother's Day is a few days away, and this is when we all want to be with our families, and we want to, especially those that are that are older, and... Um, you know, I think it's it depends on your family, depends <laughs> on the family. And it well, depends. And, and I don't want to poo poo those people who are making gallant and successful efforts at implementing, you know, Zoom and everything, you know, the, no, and all, all the other techniques to, you know, kind of bridge this time. But some people just can't do it. You know, some people just yeah. can't do it for you know, one so reason or another. We're, we're going to be seeing uh, my aunt on Mother's Day, but we're doing it. She is definitely yeah, someone distance. who we need to protect. And in fact, we're not going somewhere on where we were, we were going to maybe uh, do something on Saturday that was not risky whatsoever. But we're not even going to do that because we're like we're seeing her on Sunday. But and we're going to be across the yard from her. We're going to we're going to bring our own food. We're going to do everything we possibly can. To, we'll have masks on. What's but, wrong with her food? I think it's <laughs> I think it's important to, um, you know, to be around the people that you love, hopefully and lift yeah. their spirits and. You know, just do it as carefully as you can. Yeah, I uh, was joking with a friend because I watch a lot of police dramas and I like Law and Order. Yes. I'm now starting <laughs> to watch Bosch. And I said, w wouldn't that be something where somebody purposely contracts the virus to get their spouse or their parents ill so they can inherit the, inherit the money? And then uh, apparently, <laughs> apparently uh, this person sent me an article where somebody was using fish tank cleaner which was yeah, yeah. part of that malaria drug. Uh, no, that was what the, because uh, Trump was talking about yeah. Clydro, what is it, Chlora? Clorox, uh, yeah. uh, hydrochloroquine. And they then they, uh, there's a version of that that's used for fish tanks, and they took it, and I think both of them died. Yeah, it was like in Arizona. Oh, both died? I, didn't, yeah, like Arizona. I thought one died and one was under investigation. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was really it, bad. Anyways. Crazy. Well, this uh, has been enlightening. Uh, I, and uplifting. I, I needed this, so yes. thank you. It was really You're good welcome. to see you guys. I'd also like to take the opportunity. We've gotten some emails, and we have our faithful listeners out there. Uh, Barry has emailed, and JC, and, mm -hmm. uh, and my sister Ellen, and, and my buddy Greg. And it's, uh, it's great to have everyone out there uh, listening. And please share this uh, on social media and to, with your friends. We'd love to get the new listeners. And, but appreciate everyone out there. And, Thanks for joining us once yeah. again. And Doc, really appreciate your time and, and wisdom. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. Next time. So that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Two Men and a Doc is hosted by Dr. Michael Hyman, GB, and Jay Tannenbaum. Produced by Jay Tannenbaum. 
The views and opinions expressed here by Dr. Hyman are based on his medical training and experience, but if you or someone you know are experiencing any medical issues, you should, of course, consult your own physician. We welcome your questions about men's health or anything you've heard on this podcast. So write to us at mail at twomenandadoc.com. That's M-A-I-L at twomenandadoc.com. If you live in the Los Angeles area and want to see Dr. Hyman, you can find his contact info at drhymanla.com. That's D-R-H-Y-M-A-N-L-A.com. And these links are also in the show notes. That's it for this week. See you next time on Two Men and a Doc.